are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Thursday, October 29th edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. We have Locked On crossover with Locked On Rams today on the show. We're going to revisit some of the additional fan questions because you guys had so freaking many of these things on Tuesday for Power to the Pod. We're going to talk about the injury report. We got a great day ahead of us. Great show to dig in. So let's get started. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Needless to say, quite excited myself to become a member of the League of Football Watchers at Hard Rock Stadium with an ice-cold Pepsi this Sunday as the Dolphins square off against the Los Angeles Rams. But who is going to be taking the field for Miami and who may not be taking the field? This is a pressing question for the Dolphins coming out of their bye week that needs to be answered. Thankfully, the first round of the Dolphins injury report for week eight against the Rams is promising. The Dolphins only had one did not participate designation in the entire roster, and it is cornerback Jamal Perry. Five players on the Dolphins roster listed as limited participants. Raekwon Davis with a shoulder injury, Bobby McCain with an ankle, Devontae Parker with a groin, Adam Shaheen with a shoulder, and Kyle Van Noy with a foot injury. Andrew Van Giggle with a concussion, full participant. Shaq Lawson, full participant. Byron Jones, full participant. Xavier Howard, full participant. Camus Gruger-Hill, full participant. The bye week came at the right time, presumably, and of course, just one day of practice isn't going to make these players locks to play on Sunday against the Rams. But the fact that they are in a healthy enough place and space that they can participate to some degree in practice, if you continue to see that limited participation status For these players, as we get closer and closer to game day between today and tomorrow, that's a win for the Dolphins. Catching this team healthy, and as our friend Sosa from Locked On Rams is going to tell us, the Rams are missing a couple pieces themselves now. That is an unlucky bounce of the ball for them. Football, as my high school coach Doug Doms always used to say, is a game of attrition. And if you look at what the Dolphins are doing relative to the most hard-hit teams across the NFL. The Dolphins, in that capacity, have been very fortunate. You heard the knock on wood, so you can't blame me if something happens. They have been very fortunate to this degree in the season. Vince Beagle was a loss that hurt. Super high-energy player. Devon Gottschall, really solid role player. Miami's injuries, however to this point, have come in areas in which they, generally speaking, have had quite a bit of depth at their disposal. Maybe not high-end blue-chip talent. There's still position of needs for this team long-term, especially the edge rushers. 
but they've had depth thanks to the cho- the choice to invest along the trenches. Of course, we'd be remiss to not mention Austin Jackson, who's currently on IR. Hopefully he returns sooner rather than later as well. We are now very well aligned to continue to address this laundry list of fan questions. Pod questions. Questions from the pod. I got a bunch of them. And there's some good conversation pieces in here, which is why we're revisiting this before we talk to our friend Sosa over at Locked on Rams. After the Sunday night game, do you think the Dolphins' defense can hold the Cardinals well? How does their offense match up with our defense? This is a good question. Uh, The good news is... Divisional games always run a little bit differently than what games with everybody else is going to run. Those teams know each other really, really well. They know all the soft spots. They know the buttons to push. Um, I would hope Miami doesn't give up the kind of points explosion that we saw Seattle give up, especially because Seattle's defense has been one that has had a lot more point struggles beyond the first two weeks of the season, three weeks of the season, than what the Dolphins have, so... Uh, obviously Byron Jones matching up with DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a, a heavyweight fight. You're going to have to have somebody ready to, to play big against Larry Fitzgerald in the slot. The good news is this offense really doesn't neutralize or implement a lot of tight ends in Arizona. So if there is a place for the Dolphins to kind of move Eric Rowe around a little bit, he can match up with, with Larry Fitzgerald maybe a little bit more from the slot. Cliffy Mack would like to know which player I think will benefit the most from having two behind center. And that's hard to say without seeing how how each of the pass catchers is vibing with him at, at practice or anything, kind of flying dark. Uh, but I would anticipate everyone will benefit from more consistently accurate footballs. Um... That, to me, stands out as the biggest advantage to Tua versus Fitz relative to the limitations this offense currently has. Maybe we get a little bit more tight end action, consistent tight end action, because I know Gusecki has had opportunities in the middle of the field uh, where he has not been seen and therefore not targeted. I know that's a question that everybody had. So those would be my hopeful answers to who benefits the most. Uh, Danny wants to know if Kyle Pitts from Florida, the tight end, is an option for the Dolphins. (laughs) This uh, this Shaheen extension kind of, I wouldn't say it's put off a potential additional investment to improve the Durham-Smythe spot on the roster, but uh, it certainly axed the aspirations I had for, yeah, let's go get a guy really early in the draft. So... Uh, Kyle Pitts is a little bit more of the Mike Gusecki type role. I think he's has the potential to be more dangerous and more versatile than what Mike Gusecki is uh, as a receiver. Uh, but Gusecki, to believe the stat was earlier this week, 80% of his snaps come from the slot or detached as an outside wide receiver. That's what I'd expect for Kyle Pitts as well, that exact role. Um, so do the Dolphins want two of that same kind of player? I doubt it. As a result, I don't think Kyle Pitts would be the best fit based on us having 
Mike at this point in time and still trying to figure out what Mike's true ceiling really is. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the past 20 years. So whether you're looking for engine control modules, brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or new carpet for your classic or daily driver and everything in between, you can find it in one easy-to-navigate catalog and in just a few clicks can have everything you need delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, prices are the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. TJ Frost wants to know what is more likely. One, Tua leads Dolphins to a playoff win. Two, Brian Flores wins Coach of the Year. Three, Xavier Howard becomes an All-Pro this season. I would say the most likely, TJ, is probably that Howard becomes All-Pro, and the reason being the other two are completely dependent on the Dolphins as a team catching fire and winning more games than we are anticipating. And right now, the general expectation for the Dolphins is right around 500. So you're talking this team goes 9-1, and 8-2 the rest of the way. Flores gets coach of the year in that scenario, in my opinion, based on what last year was. Tua Tonga-Vailoa sets the world on fire. If we, get, if we get that hot, yeah, I would expect we win a playoff game because you're probably having a home playoff game at Hard Rock Stadium in January. Whereas X, you know, he's four interceptions on the year already. He's had several strong standout performances. Stat sheet voters are going to look at him and see him at the top of the charts for the Dolphins uh, and in the league for turnovers created. I think that Xavier Howard All-Pro becomes the most likely because... The Dolphins are now a little bit more prominent, and Xavier Howard is generating turnovers at an incredible rate. Irving, do you think Malcolm Perry and Lynn Bowden Jr. will get a look on the offense now that Tua has become the starter? Well, I've seen a little bit of Lynn Bowden kind of popping up here and there, and I'll say this. This dude is a junkyard dog in the best possible way, so... The Dolphins have been using Isaiah Ford in kind of this quasi-hybrid insert blocker from the slot position. So he'll go tight alignment, they'll fake motioning him across the set, and they'll yo-yo motion him and bring him back. And at the snap of the ball, he's either stepping out and blocking on the outside linebacker slash nickel defender, or he's trying to uh, pick off the linebacker that's stacked to that side of the ball. Uh, They've even done it where the defensive or the offensive tackle will step out and block a defensive end and he will loop inside of the offensive tackle to get a better angle on an inside linebacker. When the Dolphins go 20 personnel, 20 personnel seems to be their wildcat package because uh, they'll take the quarterback and they'll put him out wide, almost said Fitz. They have put Fitz out wide. And you'll get Bowden as the quote-unquote slot receiver and you'll have Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin or Matt Breida, two of those three guys. They've done it where one of them's been lined up at like an H-back, the other one's offset to Bowden at quarterback. And then you'll have 
Preston Williams and Devontae Parker to the other side of the field. And the quarterbacks walked way out there to create a bunch of extra space, right? There are times where, a handful of times where they've gone 20 personnel and not gone wildcat. And they've used Bowden in that blocker role. And I saw him cut a defensive end. Um, I think that one came against San Francisco. Is either San Francisco or New York? And he's got that. That's kind of been his rap since Kentucky was that he is a really high energy blue collar kind of plays with an edge. I'd like to see him more in that role. And I don't know about him getting more reps now that two is a quarterback because the root of the issue for both of these players, right, is that they didn't play wide receiver last year in college. They were both option quarterbacks. So you have to learn how to run routes at the NFL level, which is no small thing and is not something we should just poo-poo and, oh, I can't believe these guys can't get on the field. Well, no, there's years and years and years of mastering your craft here that they're trying to catch up on the fly outside of a standard offseason. That's an unenviable presentation for either one of those guys. Last question before we change gears and speak with our friends over at Locked on Rams. Mike, has Ted Karras been good enough to warrant an extension? Do you still think center is a dire need, position of need, and would you take Creed Humphrey if Karras continues to play well and gets extended? No, I think if you I think if you're giving out extensions midseason like this, it kind of says we like what we have here. We'll probably invest in depth at this position because the, the Dolphins still need depth everywhere. No, I would I would not say there's no position on the team where the Dolphins are like, yeah, we don't need to draft anybody here. We're set. Well, no, you were 18 months away from the worst roster in football, far and away in recent memory. We need depth everywhere. You know, reinforcements. We want an embarrassment of riches. We want teams to be falling all over themselves, scrambling to place a waiver wire on players that are cut from the Miami Dolphins. Because that's the sign of a good team, a great team. Um, would I draft Creed Humphrey if they gave Terrace, Ted Karras an extension that would presumably... Lock him in for several years at a five to six million dollar rate. No, I probably wouldn't. I would ask myself, okay, you know, we're building a team here. You don't draft just for position of need, but again, the Dolphins need improved talent ever. If Creed Humphrey is far and away the best player on the board when the Dolphins get on the clock to pick, I'd probably explore trading back, try and find a later pick, add more draft pick value. And that way I'm not just addressing a position that I just presumably signed the starter to to draft him and create a bottleneck in my offense. Let's get into it. Locked on Rams, Locked on Dolphins. Cross over to close out the rest of today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed. I certainly enjoyed talking with Sosa. Let's dig in. Welcome to the Locked on Rams and Locked on Dolphins crossover episode I'm joined by Kyle Krabs, the host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You guys know me. I'm Sosa Kermenjas, the host of the Locked On Rams podcast. And in this segment, I got three really interesting questions for Kyle to answer about the Dolphins in this week eight matchup. And so, you know, we got to begin talking at that quarterback position. 
Obviously, the Dolphins made the move from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua Tagovailoa. And I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on what we can kind of expect out of the rookie in this first start, really, in the NFL. And how has head coach Brian Flores delved into whether or not he's trying to, you know, simplify his game plan or just kind of make things a little simpler for the rookie in his first start in this week? Yeah, it was definitely a surprising decision to make the swap with the timing that they did at three and three. The bye week makes sense. Uh, But I'll say this about the Dolphins offense. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, every game you're going to get a handful of silly plays. If he was a rookie, you'd call him rookie mistakes. So I guess the thought process here is if we're going to have a couple silly plays, we'd rather have a player with a higher floor and a higher ceiling if he is who we think he is as a quarterback if we do think we have a chance to make a run towards the postseason, which the next six games for the Dolphins are significantly softer than what the first six games were. Uh, Dolphins managing to scratch out three and three before the bye. So as far as the structure of the offense, I think you'll see more RPO concepts, uh, which was something that the Dolphins in the offseason seemed to be trending hard towards, and they used in the first week or two of the season, but without a lot of consistency. Uh, So you saw them kind of get away from it a little bit. And Tua – being as effective in that area as he was at Alabama. You take into account when you look at uh, the average width, next-gen stats put this out. It was really cool to see the average width of offensive formations across the entire league. Uh, The Rams are actually either the most or the second most condensed, and the Dolphins are the widest. So two very different stylistic approaches to setting offensive formations. So with them spacing the field horizontally before the snap in the manner in which they do, I think you'll see Tua with his RPO experience, maybe not simplifying the game plan, but more RPO concepts so they give him more individual reads to make a defender wrong into his first start. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm a fantasy analyst and you know a fantasy football player myself, so I'm really intrigued by the running back and receiver positions for the Dolphins, and especially the Dolphins because of some of the players that have stood out. So, uh, you know, we all kind of know Devontae Parker as – a very good receiver and a guy to always look out for. But would you just mind kind of touching on some of those positions and, you know, some of the players that have kind of stood out in in those positions and guys like Miles Gaskin and Preston Williams and Isaiah Ford? For sure. So, so Gaskin's been the real surprise of the group. They, they paid Jordan Howard a two year, $10 million contract to come to Miami. And uh, he's been a healthy scratch the past two games that the Dolphins have played. Some of it is, is he does not look super dynamic, but some of it is also, uh, the Dolphins' offensive line is good at first contact, but they don't really sustain their blocks for an extended period of, amount, uh, period of time unless they're on a double team. So uh, you kind of end up, by the time the hole is there, by the time he gets to the hole, the hole is closed. So that's the appeal for Miles Gaskin, because he doesn't really tip your hand. He's pretty natural as a pass catcher. He does everything well, but he doesn't really have a dominant trait. So I think the Dolphins will still probably look to upgrade that position moving forward in the long term, but in the here and now, Gaskin's kind of the jack of all trades that we can get on the field for both run and pass scenarios. And that way you feel comfortable. Defenses aren't going to be tipped off. Whereas when Howard comes in the game, it's okay, let's get downhill into these gaps because the dolphins are going to run the football. They're not going to ask him to do a lot of pass catching stuff. So Preston Williams has been a little frustrating. I know he's coming back off an ACL injury that was suffered mid season last year. And, uh, He doesn't look to have all of his bounce back yet. He did have his first career 100-yard receiving game against the San Francisco 49ers going against third-string corners. So 
Uh, I, I think the passing game is probably going to run Devontae, Gaskin. You'll probably get Mike Gusecki third in the pecking order. And then whether it's matchup specific, they, you know, if you're running a lot of zone, you'll get more targets to Isaiah Ford. If you're running a lot more man, they'll try and test the catch rate suppressed more. Yeah, that makes sense. And lastly, you know, I guess Brian Flores really – what he's been able to do in his short time in Miami has been just incredibly impressive. Obviously everyone, everyone knows that everyone can see that, but um, how has he really been able to turn around the program so quickly? The job he's done has been incredible and it really only feels like it's going to keep getting better, especially with how many draft picks the dolphins have from places like Houston and with the ability of a guy like Flores at that head coaching spot. Yeah, it's, it's, been such a departure from what Dolphins the Dolphins had been chasing for so long when you look back at some of their past head coaching hires of Joe Philbin and Adam Gates they really wanted this dynamic offense and they finally got away from that and instead focused on the managerial side of things the the people skills the communication the the coaching style instead of just oh he's got an offensive background so that's the guy that we want and Flores from a player relations standpoint is the best we've seen in Miami in a decade plus. Uh, He's really good with his players. He has great individual relationships with his players, his attention to detail, his willingness to delegate and understand that he is kind of the CEO. He's responsible of of the football operations on a day-to-day basis and not trying to have his hand in offensive play calling and so on and so forth. So that was why when the Dolphins hired Chan Gailey to be the offensive coordinator, it kind of surprised some folks, but it's really, he was trying to get an experienced coach to, to handle the offensive side of the ball. They were after Jim Caldwell in 2019 and Caldwell had to take a leave of absence due to medical issues. So he knows what he knows and he knows what he doesn't. And he is very persistent on a day-to-day basis about getting better than what you were the day before. And he, really communicates at a very high level with his players. So I think from a culture standpoint, the Dolphins for so long were told, oh, we're a couple players away. Oh, we're ready to compete. Well, no, you got to commit to something and and commit to an identity as a team. And I think from the top down as this organization has really committed to, you can look at offensive linemen now and say, oh, the the Dolphins are going to like him. Whereas before it was, oh, this guy played 10 years and was a pro bowler three years ago, the Dolphins are probably going to sign him to a one-year deal and try and hope that he's the missing link on the offensive line. So kind of an entire franchise and organizational departure from thinking you're a couple players away and, and the Dolphins are definitely reaping the benefits of that now. For sure. Coming up when we return, Kyle and I are going to flip the tables here and he's going to ask his questions to me about the Los Angeles Rams on this Thursday episode of the crossover edition of the Locked On Rams and Locked On Dolphins podcast. This football season will be different, and Pepsi's here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Locked on Dolphins, Locked on Rams, continuing this crossover episode ahead of Sunday's Week 8 clash between the Rams and the Dolphins. Uh, I'm joined by Sosa. I am Kyle. We are ready to dig into the Rams side of this. We just got finished talking about the Dolphins. So, so Sosa, my first question for you. 
This is a Rams team that at five and two has some momentum coming into this game, probably had their most high quality win. You can disagree with me if you, if you think so, but you know, a win over a five and one Chicago team versus everybody likes to poke fun at the NFC East uh, based on how bad they've been. And the Rams have taken advantage and collected wins over all four teams already in the NFC East this thus far this season. What's the sense versus the last couple of years? The Rams have had successful programs the last few years to varying degrees. How good does this team feel and how good is the sense of how good this team can be versus the past couple of years of iterations of Rams football? You know, I think it's a little bit of a mix of the last few seasons. I think the team probably lands somewhere in between that 2017 season, which was, you know, Sean McVay's first season as a head coach with the Rams and that 2018 season where the Rams were one of the truly elite teams and made it to the Super Bowl. So, you know, I don't know whether they have enough talent at certain positions to kind of allow them to be a Super Bowl favorite, at least at this point in time, and especially with how good the NFC conference is, really. Uh, but I do think that this team is very good. It's very good. You know, they improved a lot over the course of the offseason from, you know, dating back to that 2019 team where the Rams finished 9-7. and seven. It was a bit of a disappointing season, really, for everyone top down. Uh, we've seen Jared Goff take a step back as the franchise quarterback. We've seen Sean McVay start to get questioned, you know, whether he was the guy or not, or whether he was just a one trick pony and, you know, kind of got lucky in that 2018 season. But uh, I think things are starting to really revert again. And, you know, it's looking very positive, obviously for the Rams, the offense is kind of back to that 2018 version where, like you mentioned, you know, in that first segment of our, of our episode here, the Rams are, you know, they're very condensed on offense. There's a lot of motion. They're running the second most motion out of any offense in the NFL. Uh, and it looks exactly like that 2018 offense where they're running, you know, wide zone and outside zone and then play action off of all their zone concepts and everything is really working in unison again and not only that but I think this might actually be the best defense that the Rams have fielded under Sean McVay's regime here with the Rams so uh, you know defensive coordinator Brandon Staley has done a really really good job at scheming you know his defense into really good positions and not only that but obviously when you have blue chippers like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey you know it makes things a lot easier so I think the Rams definitely look like a playoff team for sure and a playoff contender, but uh, you know, it remains to be seen how they're going to be able to overcome some flaws at certain positions like inside linebacker, especially when it gets to the playoffs where, you know, every play matters. So. I'm glad you mentioned the defense because they, they rank very highly in a lot of different metrics for defensive success. Uh, How much of as a team, if you're trying to game plan against the Rams, how much of it, becomes neutralizing these stars that the Rams have as best as you possibly can between Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Like what is it? Is it super top heavy or is there depth more depth than maybe a surface level look at the depth chart would indicate regarding who are the other threats that can beat you in a game plan if you don't adequately counter them? Yeah. You know, I think there's a little bit of a a proponent of both there. So obviously You know, Donald and Ramsey are two of the best players in the league and obviously at their positions too. Uh, But there's been a lot of, you know, no-name players, I guess you can say, or uh, not very known players that have stepped up for the Rams in this season. And really, it starts mostly in the secondary. I think that the secondary is pretty much where the Rams have kind of made their hay this season. You got cornerbacks like Darius Williams, who plays on the boundary across from Jalen Ramsey, who has potentially even outplayed Jalen Ramsey this season. That's how good he's played. Uh, you got a very deep safety group now 
you know, the Rams kind of suffered a lot of injuries there. They're not going to have six-round rookie Jordan Fuller in this game, who was a huge surprise for the Rams this season. Uh, and they just lost third-round rookie Terrell Burgess, who was starting to feature in a little bit more to a broken ankle. So he'll be out for the rest of the year as well. But that still leaves a lot of talent at that position for second-year players like Taylor Rapp and John Johnson, who's now playing in a contract season. And then, you know, you look up front, and you see a lot of very solid veterans. There's not going to be any game-breakers alongside Aaron Donald, but you have guys like Michael Brockers at that nose tackle spot slash three tech slash five tech. He gets moved around a lot. He's very, very solid against the run. Uh, he's very stout and, you know, he could chip in a tiny bit as a pass rusher. And then you look at the guy outside of him and Leonard Floyd, who, you know, the Rams brought him in to be a same linebacker to set the edge against the run and to hold contain on that edge. And he's done a fantastic job at doing that. Now, you know, he still hasn't taken that next step as a pass rusher and, he probably never will. He's already, you know, up there in age close to 30. But, you know, he does his job very well. He's a very, very good and stout run defender. And then whatever he brings to the table as a pass rusher is kind of just looked at as extra. So, uh, you know, the Rams obviously are going to go as far as those two blue chippers and Ramsey and Donald allowed them to go. But uh, I don't want to, you know, discredit the rest of that defense because there are a lot of players right now that are playing very well on that side of the ball. So, so I got one more for you. This team took a little bit of a step back last year with some of the losses they incurred on the offensive line. How has that unit been able to bounce back this year? What's the play like? And, and if the Dolphins were probing for, you know, th this is kind of a gap or area on this offensive line that we might want to try to bring some pressure into if we were going to get into a gap penetration mentality, where would they look? Obviously, Andrew Whitworth at left tackle has been a staple there for several years now and some familiar names that are back and healthy for the Rams now. But overall, this offensive line, how much of an asset is it to what the Rams are doing right now? They're a huge asset for sure. I think, uh, as I mentioned in that first question, really everything the Rams do is stemming from that running game. So when the running game is working, they can really you know, start to make and mesh their concept look really similar from one to the next and kind of run a lot of play action and uh, start to move Jared Goff's launch points and move him out of the pocket and bootlegs. The Rams don't really have much of a traditional, you know, drop back passing attack. There's not much uh, standing in shotgun or getting under center and having seven step drops and, you know, letting routes really develop downfield. There's a lot of trickeration moving around, um, you know, trying to mess with defenders heads and really it all begins up front. And like you mentioned, you know, the line got healthy and, there's been some strong player development and just bounce back seasons from guys that, you know, struggled in 2019 that has made all the difference for the Rams in this season. They have for sure out exceeded my expectations. I was definitely concerned about the offensive line coming into this season, but you know, you look at guys like right tackle Rob Havenstein, who has had an interesting career. He's had some very good years, some borderline elite years, and then some really weak years in 2019. And so uh, his, you know, ability to rebound and kind of get back on track this season has made a huge difference. And then the interior trio has developed as well. You see guys like right guard, Austin Corbett, who's taken a step forward in his development. Now, uh, like you mentioned, that's probably the weak spot there on that offensive line is the guard spots, you know, at left guard, the Rams are starting their second string left guard and David Edwards in replacement of Joe Nopum, who was put on IR. Now Edwards actually was an upgrade over Nopum, which is kind of funny to say, uh, but I would say the, the two guard spots are definitely the weak spots in Edwards at left guard and Corbett at right guard. And then you got Austin Blythe at center, who is a much more natural center than he is a guard. 
And we've seen him get slid in to that center spot, and it's kind of made all the difference as well. So the offensive line has performed very well. But again, the Rams haven't really been tested a ton because, like I said, there isn't a lot of traditional drop-back passing. It's a lot of you know moving launch points for Jared Goff, a lot of heavy play-action fakes, a lot of running the ball. Uh, but you know, kudos to those guys because they have for sure uh, out exceeded the expectations that I had for them coming into this season. And there you have it. We will find out on Sunday who emerges victorious in this clash of the NFC West in the AFC East when the Rams travel to Miami to play the Dolphins. Locked on Rams, locked on Dolphins. Signing off. Thanks for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed this weekend's game.